As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. Hello, welcome to the Unseen and Chapman pod on The Athletic. As usual, we'll bring you exclusive insight and stories from our team of writers. Today, we're going to look back on the January transfer window, why it was so quiet, who stands to benefit from it being so quiet, and maybe how it will affect the summer and beyond. As well as David, I'm joined by The Athletic's Adam Crafton and Dom Fifield. The interesting thing here, David, is that whilst on the, on the surface... It's been quiet for everybody involved in it. If, from what you've been saying, it feels like it's been as busy as ever. Yeah, I'm not sure if quiet's the right word. Maybe unspectacular, unexciting for some people, a bit drab, depending on what club you support. But if you're working in it, it's been probably as busy as ever because there has been loads of activity underneath the surface, behind the scenes, attempted deals being struck despite everyone in the game as always saying nothing's going to happen. They said the same in the last window and quite a lot did happen but it just wasn't that high profile. It, It didn't grab the headlines in the way that the huge money deals of previous windows have and so on a personal level I'm as exhausted if not more than ever before but maybe the output isn't quite as headline grabbing as the input yeah i wonder dom whether people have had to behind the scenes people have had to work hard and not journalists to be fair to david but those, <laughs> no, i'm not, I'm not complaining work, those those working on transfers have maybe had to work harder because of the economic climate that we're in i would have thought that's an inevitability, yes. I mean, recruitment departments, um, given a budget from the hierarchies at their respective clubs, I, I suspect that budget would have shrunk dramatically over the course of the last year. I mean, no club, I don't think many clubs out there actually wants to do a large amount of business mid-season. It's usually driven by necessity, whether that be a relegation battle, a pursuit of Europe or, or promotion even from the from the championship, etc. But I think that this window more than others, the sort of vast majority of Premier League clubs who are almost in a bit, they're safe, they they think they're safe from relegation. There's a comfortable gap between them and say Fulham in 18th place. Maybe in the past they might have gambled and spent £15 million or £20 million on a a player that might have driven them up into those Europa League qualifying places. But 
I think this time round, the ownerships have, have looked at it and thought, well, there's a £30 million, at least a £30 million hole in our finances due to COVID. That's going to kick in at some point, probably at the end of the season. Do we really want to be taking that risk now? Do we need to spend that money now? Should we not save it for the summer when there's probably better value out on the market then? Shall we not do our business then and, and see what the lay of the land, hopefully post-pandemic? And I think that probably drove a lot of the the philosophies behind the approach to to the window in this particular uh, January. Let's be clear about what happened here. We had a summer window of 2020 that involved a lot of clubs starting to feel the pinch of the pandemic and saying that there wouldn't be any spending. But ultimately, they went and spent in the hope that they would recoup through sales and departures by the end of the window. Pretty much every club that spent heavily in the summer were telling me that their books would be balanced out by the end. And it only happened in very few cases. They failed to shift. That up the ante on January shifted the emphasis to the winter window where they couldn't bluff or or get it wrong this time. They simply had to shift as a priority over spending in the hope that come the summer of 2021, if the financial climate is better, if revenue streams are increased, if fans are coming back into stadiums and season ticket money is arriving, if there are vaccines and the world is looking like a better place, then potentially the transfer market can pick up again. But I do think January of 2021 was the window where the pandemic really took hold. And uh, we're looking at a very different landscape now than we ever have been before. And and I think Adam, who works closely in this environment as well, has, has will have noticed that too. Yeah, for sure. I would echo absolutely everything that, that you and Dom have just said. I mean, I think the other thing that was really significant in terms of Premier League clubs, I mean, they were already being quite cautious, I think, in their approach to the January window. But then it was the back end of December when this new variant of coronavirus emerged and was announced by the government. And it was clear that we were going into another prolonged lockdown. And I think before then, you know, it was only, I think, mid the middle of December when was it Everton played Manchester United with 2,000 fans in the stadium? And I think there was there was a bit of hope before then. Oh, well, you know, if we get to February, March, we could get fans back in the stadium and our revenue streams may be back up. So I think that introduced another level of caution because it was all of a sudden this new dose of realism, you know, not just for football, but for all of us that, oh my God, this horrendous time that we've had for the last 10 months is going to go on for another few months and those revenue streams are going to be cut. So I think that definitely spooked certain Premier League clubs who may otherwise have taken one or two more risks than what they did. I mean, the other interesting thing was that the amount of agents I spoke to who said, you know, we're struggling to get anything done in January, so we're going to start trying to prepare for the summer, but then going to clubs and clubs just saying to them, guys, we have no idea what our budget is yet to even <laughs> begin these conversations properly. So so that's been another complication. And even, you know, I even spoke to some agents who said, I've got a player who's out of contract in the summer, who is a good European player, and clubs can't even begin these conversations until they have more clarity. I suppose the final factor is, in the summer of 2020, the, the only clubs who were really spending were the Premier League clubs. If you went around the major European clubs, the net spend of clubs such as uh, Juventus, Paris Saint-Germain, Real Madrid, Barcelona, uh, Inter Milan, it, it was nowhere near what we've seen in previous years. It was almost as though the Premier League were the only ones really at it in the summer. And then finally, it's caught up with us this month. So the summer will be interesting. I think the most interesting window may even just be January next year in terms of telling us 
whether we're going into you know a completely different environment or whether things will just go back to how they were before COVID. Let me throw another three factors into this and then we'll look at, a, Dan, I'm going to do one with each of you, to be fair, and then we'll look at a few of the specific deals that have, have gone through. One, David, uh, first factor, we've spoken a lot on this podcast and also on the Business of Sport podcast about recruitment, analysts, technical directors, sporting directors. If these departments are much departments are much better run than they were maybe even two years ago, three years ago, then the need to do a sort of supermarket trolley dash on transfer deadline day becomes less and less likely because they plan properly now. So that's the first factor. Would that be fair? Some plan better, but in many circumstances, you can't really plan for some of the eventualities that you're dealing with now. And so... You'll uh, chide me for this, but I'm going to bring up the example of Arsenal and Edu as technical director. Here we go again. He really inherited a great deal of, you could call it mess, part by design, part by accident and, and circumstance. But he just had to clean up that club this January. He had to get rid of Deadwood players who are surplus to requirements, trim the squad, trim the wage bill, pay players off to go and get rid of what was becoming a bit of a difficult atmosphere with players left out of squads and we've seen it at other clubs too, Manchester United, Chelsea, and that caused some real poison, I think, around around Stamford Bridge. And so, you know, there are people who are new into the roles now and, and club structures that are still developing where they, they have to get the house in order. They, they haven't really been able to plan ahead. On the flip side, there are much more settled clubs who have planned well. Manchester City, it's as settled as you like. And there are a number of other examples across the Premier League. Aston Villa are delighted with the window they've had. They've got a new sporting director in place who seems to have taken to the job really well. He impresses many people that I speak to throughout the window. And and that shows the benefit of being settled, preparing well and planning well. But it's, it's just not that straightforward because there are so many circumstances and variables involved in this business okay that that's the first factor dismissed Shot you by down David. There. yeah no no you show you you completely <laughs> do right so that's the first factor gone dom let's let's see if you welcome my second theory and and, and if you don't then it'll be a hat trick for adam to deal with that the bottom three are are fairly adrift at the moment and and fulham and, and west brom have, have maybe tried to do the most in this window it feels like bar liverpool's central defensive crisis do you think a lot of the other sides in the bottom half of the table have gone they're quite a way behind us we don't have to panic i do agree with that i'm afraid so that's the hat yes gone. um i think Ooh. those those teams in in mid table it goes back to what i was saying in the in, in the in the first answer really in, in as much as i think you can be in newcastle and be confident you're going to have enough quality to to finish comfortably above the bottom three at the moment now, I suppose alarm bells might have started ringing when Sam Allardyce walked into the Hawthorns and people remember his, his track record at, at keep, keeping teams up. And indeed, you know, when his, the last time he went into a club that was struggling in the Premier League was, was Palace back in, in late 2016, uh, Boxing Day 2016. And that January, he bought four players in Schlupp, Van Arnold, Milovievich and Sacco and those four players played significant roles in keeping Crystal Palace comfortably up that season. Now he's 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 bought a similar number of players this January for West Brom but I'm not convinced that that 
the players that he's brought in are quite of the same calibre and probably reflect where West Brom's finances are and the and the the, the very the reality they're probably doing this a bit too late. They, I mean, if this had been the summer window and they they made that type of outlay and then been able to go again in January, then then they might have had more of a chance. But but it feels as if they're playing a rather hopeless game of catch up. Same, you could argue with Fulham. I just think it's it's just so difficult for those promoted clubs, particularly the one at Fulham, and they, and they came up through the playoffs. For them to have planned for this season and for them to have the resources to thrive in the Premier League, I just it was almost the impossible job. And that um, Leeds have done so well is is a huge testament to Marcello Bielsa and, the, and their recruitment departments at Ellen Road. But I just think it's 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 really asking a, a little too much for West Brom and Fulham to to survive this season. And the final theory, Adam, is it's kind of a bigger picture one and, and at the high end of the market. And that is that the farcical, I was talking about this with someone last night, that the farcical status at the moment of both Barcelona and Real Madrid takes away... Uh, quite a lot of the high-end players bargaining tools with Premier League clubs because actually they can't force their way out if they want their dream move to, to Real Madrid or, or Barcelona because quite simply those two clubs can't afford to do anything at the moment. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I think we've seen it uh, maybe with Mo Salah over the past few weeks where you know there's been little whispers, I think, about Madrid and Barcelona, but no one really believes it. I think that's part of, you know, part of the problem if you're going into contract negotiations at the moment with, you know, maybe a top six Premier League club and, you know, those bargaining chips that you would ordinarily use, they're just not very credible at the moment. And I think people within clubs know that. They know that their own hand is stronger. They know that despite whatever problems are currently inhibiting Premier League clubs financially, my God, it's not as bad as it is at Barcelona or or Real Madrid at the moment. So that's absolutely true. To go back to the point you made to David in terms of, well, you know, you have scouting teams and analysis teams that should be able to cope with any situation. I think most clubs do now. I think it's more necessarily a case of, you know, Aston Villa are happy. Aston Villa are happy because their team are winning. And that if your team's winning, it takes all the pressure off what you need to do in, in, a, in, a, in a transfer window often and it, it changes the whole environment around a club and I think that's one of the things that's often yeah so much of the pressure that comes around in a transfer window is based on what happens on the pitch and then it's, it's quite a self-fulfilling thing. Villa now are able to continue to add quality. They're not having to go into the January window and think oh, we just need to pick anyone up in, in a forward position or defensive position which is maybe you know, if I was Fulham yesterday, you'd just be thinking, any player of quality, let's try and get him who's available. Um, and, and a club like Villa aren't in that position. I think someone like Leeds, for example, had another fantastic result at the weekend. I think they can now confidently start planning for another season in the Premier League. So it's so much of what happens, not only in this window, but the next window, it's defined by what happens on the pitch. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Let's talk about some of the deals that did happen 
then I love the tweet from Kieran Canning. Fair play, <laughs> fair play to Minamino for realising the best way into the Liverpool team is is playing for Southampton. How uh, how did uh, how did this come about, David? The move, not the tweet. I understand how the tweet came about. <laughs> yeah, this was very much a deadline day deal um, that wasn't really in the offing beforehand. I think it became a possibility. In the early part of deadline day, uh, it became clear very early that the uh, idea that I reported in in our Monday column as the lead item of Joshua King going to Southampton in a permanent deal and Shane Long going in the opposite direction to Bournemouth on loan with an option to buy was not going to materialise. I don't think Southampton would have been able to uh, meet the sort of wage demands that Joshua King would expect because, of course, he stood to sign a pre-contract agreement and leave as a free agent in the summer and that would have commanded him a big salary and signing on fee potentially with the Champions League club. That brought Fulham into the picture for him and and uh, Everton too and he ended up going to Everton. But back to Minamino, yeah. Um, when I say that it was, it was developing or it wasn't really a possibility until the early part of deadline day, it's not that I knew about it at that point. We didn't start to get word of it until the final maybe couple of hours of the window. I can't remember exactly when we broke the story. And then it's a frantic effort to try and stand up the name and the circumstances of the deal and what it entails, get as much information as you can, then make sure it's accurate and then go for it uh, with very little time and, and a lot of people going for the same stories. And it, it was on our radar that Southampton were looking for that attacking player on deadline day because we knew about that Josh King story. Previously, Southampton were just looking for defensive reinforcement with injuries, suspension in the fullback areas, Ryan Bertrand going into the final six months of his contract, Jan Valery perhaps on his way out of the club. They they already let one of their backup fullbacks leave on loan. Then they got a couple of um, midfield injuries in, in their most recent game and people were starting to say they need to bring in midfielders now. No one was looking at the attacking area, but behind the scenes Southampton were. There's obviously a fluid relationship there between the two clubs, given what we've seen before. Minamino hasn't been playing. I think he's only played six minutes of football since the 7-0 win at Crystal Palace on the 19th of December. Um, And (laughs) sorry to to throw that in, Dom. (laughs) And it was very rapidly sorted out. Medicals, I think, were done on Merseyside and agreement reached, announced at one in the morning. So uh, we're very pleased to be able to break that story. And I think it's one of the more eye-catching ones on on deadline day. Why do you think Liverpool have let him go is there any indication why why they've done that I can only assume that he needs minutes he needs games he needs opportunities and he scored a very nice goal that that day everybody scored a very nice goal that day at Celeste Park but um, <laughs> but he um the, the constant criticism um from Klopp on Minamino has been the sort of the willingness to um, to work defensively, to mm. the, the industry that's that's required, really, and and uh, to track back the uglier parts of the game, and and I and I, I suspect that every time he's he's been flung on a pitch in a Liverpool shirt, he's just thought, I've really got to seize my opportunity now because if I don't, then a Mo Salah or a Sadio Mane or, or a Bobby Firmino is going to pretty come back into the team pretty quickly. So he's he's maybe concentrated more on. You know, dazzling at one end and and not done the other aspects of the game that are required. And and if he plays regular football for Southampton, and as, as a, he's schooled in that sort of 
RB, Red Bull group of clubs than the style of football they, that they like to play from his time at Salzburg. I guess Hasenhutl will do the same given that he was at Leipzig and, and they may, there may be a connection there and it, it may just click and it's probably worth it for Liverpool's, from Liverpool's point of view because he, he'll probably play more of a part for Southampton, possibly taking points off opponents in, in the title race en route. Uh, than he would have done at Anfield, and they have got enough resources up top at the moment to, at uh, at Liverpool to to get them by. And can I just throw in a shameless plug to Kiva O'Neill's piece on the Athletic, where she goes into greater depth on the precise defensive issues that Dom touches upon there, which ultimately have seen him loaned out by Liverpool. All the data and the numbers behind it, which is quite surprising given, you know, the the sort of expectation about his game style, both going forward and being able to, to track back when he signed for Liverpool. And it also maybe underlines that for all of the brilliant work that Liverpool do do in the transfer market, and I don't think this undermines their recruitment um, operation at all, but not everything works out quite how you would plan it and I think they will hope because this is just a straight loan with no option to buy that this is actually a, a, a move that really does suit all parties I know there's a lot of excitement about it at, at Southampton but Liverpool will definitely expect him to come back a better player I don't think there's any thought that it's done for him at Anfield what they did at the other end of the field is quite old school isn't it Adam champions going into the championship to sign a centre-half from Preston would uh, it feels like something out of the 70s or 80s really in a good way as an old, as an old romantic you know that, I like that would you like to tell me about the 70s and 80s or... <laughs> Dom can Dom can <laughs> Um, no, no, it, uh, <laughs> you're not coming on this podcast again. I can guarantee that. Anyhow, <laughs> um, no, I th- it was, it's been a really interesting yeah. few days at Liverpool, just because we we're so used to seeing them so in control of the situation, and so you know, I mean, I, I remember looking at their transfer business in the summer when they just bought they got Thiago and Jota, and just thinking, wow, as in just how brutally brilliant it was um, in terms of strengthening what was already a brilliant starting 11 and then you're thinking wow they've now added two what one world-class player and one potentially world-class player um, in Jota I, I think what's happened this month I don't think as David says I don't think it necessarily undermines their their transfer model I do think some of it's been a bit odd in the sense that they you know after Van Dijk's injury, which preceded the end of the autumn transfer window, I suppose we call it, that to me meant they should, should have gone in and done something at that point. Obviously, it has got worse in terms of Joe Gomez has picked up an injury. Joel Matip's got a serious injury as well, which has meant that they've had to do two players. I wouldn't say that you know Jurgen Klopp would necessarily be very, very confident that either player is you know a player that's capable of leading a defence to the, to the Premier League title. In the case of Kabak, you know, Liverpool first held talks about him, I believe, in October, November. At the time, they were offered him for €30 million. Euros. They felt that was too much and stepped away from it. It went completely quiet. And then on the last day of the window, it's been revived. When that kind of thing happens, you don't always think that's the perfect solution. That doesn't mean it's not going to work. Um, I think the deal they've got is, on the surface, is an extraordinary one. If you're quoted €30 million Euros a few months ago and then get him on loan with an option, not even an obligation of 18 million it's I mean it's it's remarkable Mm. 
to turn it around in that sense. I think Ben Davis is, is another interesting one. Again, one that they acted really late on. You know, spoke to people close to Davis on Thursday, Friday. They were planning his move to Celtic. They thought he was heading to Celtic. They were aware of interest from Liverpool that Liverpool had been watching him, that Liverpool admired him. But it wasn't. It, you know, there wasn't this sense of this is going to happen. Um, and then all of a sudden it did. And I think what we've seen is a real shift in in tone from the top of Liverpool over the past week in the sense of initially thinking we can probably get by till the end of the season. You know, we have some very good midfielders who are capable of slotting in. Apart from the FA Cup game against Manchester United, the defending has not been that bad. And then the Matip injury came as well. And I think that propelled them into the market um, and, and, you know, forced the hand of FSG and Michael Edwards and Dave Fallows um, on the scouting team and Klopp very quickly went into action on it. And I suppose we'll see whether it works out. And, you know, over the next few months, we will see whether these very late moves work out or whether there may be some regret that Liverpool didn't do these moves at the start of January because it's very it's a very big challenge first of all for someone like Ben Davis to come in from Preston from the championship and go straight into a Premier League team challenging for the title playing Manchester City at the weekend there isn't very much training time on the field at the moment for, for these players and, and actually when you just look at the start of Liverpool's month when they did have that period around the Aston Villa game they did have time on the training field then and I, and I just wonder if at the end of the season there may be a tinge of regret that whichever defender they brought in didn't have that week or fortnight before things went crazy again with the fixtures to bed in a little bit. But it'll be, it'll be certainly very interesting. Hi, I'm James McNicholas, and I'm here to tell you about the latest series from Beyond the Headline, the making of Big Sam. You see, Sam Allardyce seemingly can't quit English football, and English football can't quit him. But why? Why does football keep coming back to Sam Allardyce? To answer those questions and more, you'll hear from Big Sam himself, those who have worked for him, and those who've witnessed the full Big Sam experience. You can hear it all now and ad-free via the Athletic app. Just search for Beyond the Headline now. Arsenal, David, were about trimming the squad, really, weren't they, on deadline day? Yeah, that was the absolute priority for them in the entire transfer window. This is something that should have been done before um, in terms of uh, getting players out that they didn't want to be there. And we must point out that for the amount Arsenal paid for the likes of Ozil and then, of course, renewed his contract, Socrates, uh, Mustafi, Kolasinac was a free agent when he signed from Schalke, William Saliba, if you add all of them up and then work out how much Arsenal have recouped for their depart permanent or loan departures, it's pretty terrifying. That is not best practice. However, that was not on the shoulders of the current regime. That was the work largely or almost entirely of sort of previous incumbents. And now it's the job of Edu as technical director in his first transfer window in sole command. And we wrote a big piece about that on The Athletic that was published at the turn of the year. This was his moment of truth, really, and the start of what they will hope is a new era at Arsenal. They needed to clear the decks 
and really slim things down, make it a lot more efficient, as they like to describe it, and streamlined, improve the the atmosphere, the morale around the camp by getting rid of anyone, whether they're bad influences or just not happy because they're not playing, which is understandable and it's not unique to Arsenal. They then managed to strengthen with uh, the loan signing of Martin Odegaard and uh, backup goalkeeper in Matty Ryan. On deadline day, they got Ainsley Maitland-Niles, Joe Willock uh, out on loan, Skodra Mustafi, the final sort of contract termination after Mesut Ozil and Socrates. And really that one, some people I speak to a lot and really respect thought that was going to be one step too far. Maybe Mustafi would be the one they couldn't get rid of and they managed to as well. So... You know, I'm sure Edu will take a lot of credit for that. Arteta as well, convincing these players to go, which others had failed to do in the past. It will have come at a cost because I'm sure they've paid them up a lot of their money, probably not all of it, but a, a significant proportion. And now Arsenal will try and challenge for what a top four finish, progress in the Europa League and use the coming windows to sort of finesse what they've now started, which means letting some players go whose contract expires, signing some players to new contracts, using the market uh, to recruit and that's where they'll really be judged but I think and many clubs say this so we shouldn't be too sympathetic but you know their intention is that they'll become competitive again over the next sort of year or two it's going to take a few more windows in their mind to to get that squad where they want it to be and we know that supporters don't have that sort of patience largely they're going to have to uh continue this trajectory but yeah uh, a window where Arsenal were probably the most prolific shedders of players and it was a fairly seismic window for Arsenal and in some ways Dom Adam that that goes against the the trend doesn't it really because most clubs have not wanted to really shed players uh take United and 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 Brandon Williams I know Lingard has gone but Brandon Williams for example you know they, they want to hold on to them because of how many fixtures there are look at look at Tottenham in particular and Deli Alley, which we, we can come on to the the trend has been we're going to keep our players because of the number of fixtures and the 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 circumstances that football is being played in at the moment given that you can lose players at the drop of a hat as well to to coronavirus and 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 having to self isolate etc it's 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 been imperative that clubs have had options there where they've could they've lent on under 23s over the course of the season but obviously that's complicated by the whole bubble situation within clubs as well so it is a unique situation and in, in that in that sense it is quite surprising not so much that that Arsenal would try and shift a, an Ozil or a Mustafi but but a Maitland Niles or a Willock who ha- have played significant roles certainly in the Europa League and and have been useful players to have to be able to drop into the Premier League 11 um, I'm quite intrigued by that and that, uh, there has to be an element of risk involved because these guys are presumably very much part of the future at Arsenal but maybe they feel as if their development will just benefit more from more game time elsewhere and and they have enough bodies to get them by. And I suppose some of these guys have got, I mean, Maitland-Niles may have aspirations to make England squads, etc. For, for for the summer tournament as well. So it's, I, I guess it's a balancing act, but, but there has to be an element of risk in there in, in that you're, you, you are denying yourself options for just in case the worst happens and you, you lose players through injury or more likely illness. Yeah, and let's not forget that Arsenal um, didn't have the perfect window. They were short going towards deadline day of left 
left-back cover, certainly left-footed left-back cover because Kieran Tierney's been injured. Even Bakayo Saka has a rare injury. Ainsley Maitland-Niles, who could technically cover in that position but didn't want to, has now gone on loan. And Cedric Suarez is basically, for now, the only option there when they play Wolves uh, tonight, just after we're recording this. And he's right-footed. So it wasn't perfect. They wanted more cover in that sense. I think they would have liked to have got Alex Runison, the goalkeeper who has seemingly dropped down the pecking order a bit, out on loan. They didn't manage to do that. Reese Nelson is another young player with high aspirations who is at the club and he's not playing and no loan deal was structured. Valencia was an opportunity, but it didn't materialise because they have an issue with too many uh, foreign players as it is and nothing else was quite suitable. So they'll reassess it in the summer. And all of those questions will be running through their head. Dom is absolutely right. It was an improved window for sure. David, are you surprised by... I mean, Maitland-Niles, from what I recall of last season's FA Cup run, I thought he was fantastic during those uh, during those games. And quite often when I've seen him play, I've, I thought he's really good. So is my judgment really bad? Um, or is it, a, is it a bit surprising that he's spending the second half of this season um, on loan at you know, a pretty poor team um, from what we've seen for, for, for the first part of the campaign? Maitland-Niles is such a sort of confusing situation obviously came through the academy he went on loan quite early in his Arsenal career to Ipswich I think it was there were some issues well documented publicised um Involving, I think it was his mother had an altercation at the side of the pitch with a senior Arsenal official at the time. And it was almost like things were preceding him before he'd even really been tested. I think he had a tough time on loan at Ipswich, got a lot of criticism from their supporters for a period, came back to Arsenal and it was quite a delicate, fragile period in his development. Managed to fight and and earn himself a chance, but has always wanted to play in central midfield. However, quite swiftly, Arsenal saw him as being a potentially top class fullback or wingback and I've spoken to recruitment experts at other clubs who absolutely agree with Arsenal's view they think if he commits to it and really puts his mind to it he could be one of the best sort of flying wingbacks right backs in European football potentially but it's never been his desire and so he's always been in and out of the squad there have been some issues which we've reported in the past about his timekeeping and and it got him into bit of bother with with different managers head coaches uh, which he I think has addressed publicly in, in a couple of interviews and spoken quite maturely about it and how he sorted himself out in that sense and as you say got into the FA Cup final winning team and the Community Shield winning team and was a really important member of those at left sort of wing back but Mikel Arteta has then spoken more recently about him needing to achieve the standards Arteta expects of every player in every training session and 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 consistently and not letting that standard drop but we're not privy to what's going on on the training pitch and I'm sure he's not the only one who has has those struggles and he's he's got huge competition in the place that he wants to play in and that he's not had the opportunity there and then he's not the first choice in in the alternative positions and then you ask about West Brom but they weren't the only team in the frame so there was interest from a top, top four club whose uh, identity has, has never come out and I, d- I don't actually know it so that's why I haven't been able to to say Leicester City expressed some interest they he was one of their options for a midfield role and that really appealed to him and so they became his top choice very quickly and that's 
would have seen him competing in the top four of the Premier League at the other end to West Brom. However, and although they may have offered a, an option to buy, Arsenal weren't really interested in, in dealing with a, a potential rival. Uh, then Southampton were on the scene. Well, they were initially looking to play him at, as fullback. And he didn't want that. They very quickly came to an agreement with Arsenal. It really did suit Arsenal. They think they still think he should have gone there. Um, and Southampton were wanting him. They were pushing. They were calling right overnight and asking for an answer before deadline day into the morning. They did sort of say they had backup options, but nothing sort of materialised in the end for them. And then there was sort of Newcastle who expressed some interest, but they were prioritising uh, Joe Willock from Arsenal as the midfielder. Arsenal wanted Willock to go out as a midfielder and Maitland-Niles to go out as a fullback. And West Brom, who were the first really to hold sort of high-level talks with Arsenal, but were out of the picture just 24 hours before the deadline, came back into the frame. Arsenal weren't so keen on him going there for the sort of playing style, for the relegation scrap. He was always quite open to it because they assured him he would have midfield opportunities as well as potentially having to be used at fullback on occasion. And uh, and, and then eventually that became really the only realistic option with with little time to spare. He did his medical in London and, and then travelled up and, and signed for West Brom. He can't play in their first match. He wasn't registered in time, but he could make his debut on Sunday away to Tottenham. So what I'm presenting there, Adam, is a, is a much more complicated picture than than some people externally might have imagined. My judgment wasn't completely off then. If recruitment <laughs> no. experts are, are saying that he will be a top-level wing-back. Uh, no, it's, it's super interesting, though, just because how a player can get, you know, can basically have options all throughout a division. And then just because of, circumstances end up in a relegation dogfight instead of possibly contesting the title if he'd gone to, to Leicester City. So um, no, I think it's one of the more interesting ones that happened yesterday. Although very notable that he is just a straight loan. So mm. they're seeing this as a short-term chance for him to enter a real big sporting challenge and hopefully come back to Arsenal and um, and kick on or potentially leave because uh, I think his contract expires in 2023. So it's that decision time with two years to go. Do you renew or do you um, leave permanently? And of course, Arsenal turned down a offer of sort of below £20 million from Wolves last summer. So things have changed very quickly. And um, yeah, it's a really fascinating sort of trajectory he's on because, of course, he's part of the England squad. He's been in the last three. Gareth Southgate um, clearly likes him. He wants to be in that Euro squad for this coming summer. And that may be another factor, just getting regular game time in a competitive environment, wherever it is, even if it is in a relegation scrap, may do the trick. Well, that's the point, isn't it? He's going to get games, Adam, unlike... Deli Ali, who I would imagine is fuming at the moment. Yeah, I mean, the situation for for Deli Ali is it's pretty awful, isn't it? Really, given you know where he was at the 2018 World Cup to to now, if you you know if you take a career by international tournament to tournament basis, um, dropped out of the England picture, dropped out of his club picture. Harry Kane has has got an injury. Will that change things? You know, I, th- I think I think it certainly had an impact on his the possibility of a move to Paris Saint Germain. I, th- I think PSG always had a feeling that that it might not work out throughout the month. Um, it wasn't a deal that they were as desperate to do as Delhi was maybe as desperate to do. I think that was probably the unfortunate reality of the situation that PSG weren't prepared to break a budget to to meet the demands. 
it also depended, I think, on Spurs getting you know a suitable replacement, and there weren't that many options in the you know wide forward or number ten position that, that would have suited Jose Mourinho's style of play. Uh, to replace Ali in terms of the numbers. And it leaves him in a really difficult position, you know, with a manager who, you know, we're told that there's there's no significant problems in the relationship, but the relationship doesn't appear to involve Deli Ali playing much football. And this is a this is a major problem. This is meant to be, you know, Deli was meant to be one of the stars of his generation. And for several years he he's lived up to that. Uh, and this is this has probably been the toughest year of his career. You know, it's it's been a tough year for everyone regardless of football and then for your professional life to be so inhibited it must be hugely challenging and I have I have real sympathy for for him at the moment because you know you look at that Tottenham team at the moment they're not really doing anything you know from an attacking point of view you're looking for that bit of flair that little bit bit of difference someone to make a run into the box and it seems like they're they're crying out a little bit for for Delhi at his best Um, and I know we've not seen that for a long time and I know that when a pl- when a player is absent, we can often build them up into something maybe that that's more than what they really are. But I, I think it's it's go- it might you know given Kane's injury, so, you know he tried to play Son as the striker, didn't he? Um, against Brighton, that didn't really work. And, and you look at it and think, God, just give him a chance um, and let's let's see what he can do because it can't really be worse than what they've produced in an attacking sense over the past few weeks. One thing I don't understand on, on the Deli Ali situation given everything Adam is, has explained, it's just why Daniel Levy was so reluctant to, to sanction his exit. Is, is it just because, as we know, he likes Deli Ali a lot, a player he signed for a very small amount of money, relatively speaking, from MK Dons and thinks he'll be a success at some point? Does he want him at the club in case of injuries and thinks that Jose Mourinho may need him? Does he want him at the club in case Jose Mourinho leaves at some point and Deli Ali comes back into the frame as we've seen with a number of players, most notably at Chelsea recently? Or does he not want him to go out on loan in case it doesn't go well and his value depreciates even further? Whereas if he stays put at Tottenham in-house, maybe plays the odd game... Daniel Levy may think come the summer I can get a reasonable fee for him and sort of hedging his bets and and, and playing it safe. Dom, I don't know if you've got an, a view on that. It's a really interesting theory that last one because um, because Levy will think uh, he will think longer term, won't he? And I, I imagine that's in his nature to to look at that. And you know, there isn't any guarantee that that Deli Ali would would settle in in Paris, even with Pochettino in in situ there. Um, you know, it's it would still be a new environment. It would still be very alien to everything he's used to, and the, and throwing the, the 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 pandemic as well. I, it it you know, it's not guaranteed that 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 situation works. It's not as if PSG are tearing it up in the in league at the moment. I mean, they they lost to a team in the relegation zone at the at the weekend for, for Pochettino's first league defeat. So I I I want that you may well you may well have struck upon something there, David. I mean, it's. Levy will be thinking about how he can, if if it really is going to be a parting of the ways, if that if that's the way it's going to go, then he will want to maximise the amount of money that he can get for for Deli Ali to allow Tottenham to go into the market with a with a vengeance come the summer and and uh, maybe the odd cameo at Spurs does preserve some kind of value in the player. That said, he's not started a Premier League game since the opening weekend. I mean, it's it, his his plummet is is remarkable. 
This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. All new Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Well, let's finish with uh, looking ahead to the summer do you, and we, we've sort of touched on how the market might be affected over the next 12 months 18 months would you expect david big deals in the summer and if so where yeah i'm pleased we've we finished on this because adam mentioned a point quite high up in the program about the uncertainty that looks set to sort of continue right right up until or into that window and potentially beyond so there are many in the game who just have no idea despite their intentions and so what I'll explain is a bit about their intentions clubs directors agents players are banking on it being a much improved window with the revenue streams etc that we we talked about making it slightly more relaxed in terms of spending and there are some situations that need to be sorted out for example PSG Neymar and Mbappe what's going to happen with their contractual situations I sense it's more likely that Neymar will stay but what about Mbappe this was really meant to be the the summer that he moved to Real Madrid but can they finance it they'll also be looking to try and finance a move as a free agent but at a great expense for David Alaba can they do both and potentially other deals Manchester City I'll just throw it around to them a striker is needed. Now, they'll ha- they've been linked with the likes of Haaland, we've talked on, on here, um, Messi, of course, Mbappe himself, Harry Kane. Uh, they need to do something because Sergio Aguero has not been offered a new contract yet and he's getting to the age where Manchester City might see their future going in another direction. What's going to happen with Jack Grealish? He's got this £100 million bounty on his head and there is a lot of interest in him. He seems to be in his prime and and only getting better. But who's going to be prepared to pay that money? Will anybody be able to go that far? Aston Villa do not need that money. So, But then there was a kind of understanding, I'm sure, when he signed his new contract that if anyone came in at a certain price, then he could go. Adam touched upon the Salah situation before. There are all sorts of scenarios swirling around. Um, Martinez at, at Inter Milan is a player that is on, on the radar of a lot of English clubs. Deo Upamecano, who we talked about um, in relation to Bayern Munich being the favourites to sign him. But Manchester United do want to sign a centre-half in the summer. Who will that be? Jadon Sancho, the saga will rumble on again. He's expecting to leave in the summer. You know, that, that leaves... Borussia Dortmund with the decision. Do we let Sancho go and does that mean we can keep Haaland? Do we let Haaland go? Does that mean we can keep Sancho or will both of them go? So it's fascinating. We haven't even mentioned somebody like James Madison who arguably has been in even better form than Jack Grealish. He signed a new contract at Leicester but there was an expectation among many that he would sign a new contract and then perhaps leave a year later. So Don't let the podcast go by without the, um, the double P word. 
Oh my goodness me! That I mean, that's one that that is is potentially going to have the biggest bearing on the transfer market, Paul Pogba, because that could free up space at Manchester United. It could see a Real Madrid, a Juventus, uh, a PSG take on one of the biggest name players in in world football. Um, and then there's another really important situation that will affect the fo- football economics, and that's Barcelona and their presidential elections. What happens? Who comes in? What finances are available? Wh- what they do about their eye-watering debt? Um, and my goodness, like it, it's going to be such a fascinating window. But whether any of this or how much of it can happen is... Is I don't know. I'm I, I I'd be fascinated what you guys think on whether these players need to move to keep the economy of football flowing. But do their values get knocked down? Do we start to see these hundred million pound deal and euro deals butchered into fifty million or a loan with an option to buy or an obligation to buy for some of the world's biggest stars? I think we're going to see a a, a radically transformed market. But surely they can't all stay put. The chess pieces need to move around the board. Otherwise, the transfer market doesn't really work, Dom. True, but you can only spend what you've got. I mean, that's that's got to be the principle that they work on. And these, these clubs are are still digesting um, quite where they are in terms of their finances. Um, and, and, and things could change again between now and the summer on that front as well. Um, I suspect that the... The bigger the bigger clubs and the bigger players will still will still see the the value in in pursuing the biggest targets and I'd be surprised if if prices at that at that elite 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 level plummeted hugely but maybe they have maybe you're right maybe they have to get creative with how how deals are structured how you bring a how the wage even wage packages are, are structured um, that there there will be creative means of 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 getting past and getting by on on those fronts and i i i i love your enthusiasm i love the way that the transfer window has just just closed and you're already <laughs> salivating at the prospect of what awaits in in, in the summer but you're right it's it is I'm an intriguing running off one. fumes i need something to look forward to <laughs> I, I feel like i've just listened to a trailer for a fabulous <laughs> channel four Drama um, that's, that's, due to, that's due to come out um, at some point in June. Well, that seems a very positive way to end it then, uh, doesn't it? Uh, thank you to all three of you. You can read all the articles we discussed on today's podcast in full on The Athletic. Subscribe to The Athletic for just £3.99 a month. Enjoy great analysis and in-depth features from the very best football writers around, as well as ad-free versions of all of our podcasts. All you've got to do, go to theathletic.com slash Ornstein and Chapman, uh, and I'm back on this podcast feed on Thursday alongside Matt Slater for the Business of Sport podcast. Uh, thanks for listening. Bye from us all. The Athletic. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favourite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic.